The Bible said in Matthew 8, 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. We have in our hand this morning the Word of God. The Word of God contains four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With that being said, we have four snapshots, four pictures of who Jesus Christ really is. Matthew portrays Jesus as the king. Mark portrays Jesus as the servant. Luke portrays him as the perfect man or the man of suffering. Uh, And John portrays him as the son of God. But this morning we want to focus on Matthew, uh, who was, by the way, presented Jesus as the king and also the long-awaited Messiah uh, to the nation of Israel. In chapters 1 through 4 of Matthew, we see the person of the king. In chapters 5 through 7, we see the principles of the king. And beginning at chapter 8, we begin to see the power of the king. What good would it be to be a king if there was no power uh, to back it up? If there was no power to accomplish anything, his, his principles uh, and, and his particular uh, principles and, and, and his uh, credentials would mean nothing. But in Matthew chapter 8 and chapters 9, there are 10 miracles that are recorded. To me, that bids the question, what was the purpose of miracles uh, Jesus performed? Now, there might be many reasons for that, but let me just notice a couple with you, if I may. For one thing, Jesus wanted to meet the needs of mankind. God's concerned about the temporal living and the temporal life as much as he is about the spiritual life of mankind. I personally believe it's wrong to separate uh, the ministry to the body uh, from the ministry of the soul and the spirit. We are to minister to the man of humanity, spirit, soul, and body equally as well. Another reason Jesus performed miracles was to validate his claim to prove that he was the Messiah of Israel. The Apostle Paul said in Corinthians that the Jews require a sign. And when Jesus taught and preached, uh, miracles would always follow. Signs and wonders uh, always accompanied uh, the ministry that he had. Now, while miracles themselves are not proof of the man's been sent by God, because even Satan can duplicate miracles, I would remind you they do add weight to the claim of Messiahship, especially when his life and his conduct are of a godly character. But not only that, I remind you that when Jesus Christ taught, when he preached, the miracles took place. The miracles that he performed confirmed the Old Testament prophecies uh, written about him exclusively. And again, another uh, reason for uh, the miracles Jesus performed uh, was the fact that his miracles, if you will, uh, basically uh, were to reveal saving truth uh, to individuals. His miracles were simply sermons in action. Even Nicodemus, if you will, I was impressed with the miracles uh, that Jesus Christ performed upon this earth. It's worth noting of uh, the five miracles that Jesus performed, uh, he t- were performed in Capernaum. And yet Capernaum as a city rejected him. 
Even though they saw the miracles he performed, they did not accept him as the Messiah, as the Lord, and as the Savior. And I think that's important to point out. Uh, Jesus did not perform miracles in order to draw a crowd. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Gospel of John, uh, the Bible said that there were many people that came and committed themselves to Jesus, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because all they wanted was the bread that he could give, the miracles that he could perform. He, they wanted nothing to do with him as a person. They just wanted what he could give him. They wanted the blessings of God, but they didn't want God himself. And by the same token, Jesus never performed miracles in order to gather a crowd. Quite the contrary. When someone was healed, he would say, go and tell nobody. When somebody was healed, I don't let anybody know about this. Why, why did he do that? He didn't want people following him and trusting him simply on the basis of the miracles that he performed. Faith must be based on God's word. Faith must be based on God's word. Faith must not be based upon miracles that we see or signs and wonders. You know, we live in a world today where people are a lot like lawyers and are ambulance chasers. All they want to do is follow miracles and follow miracles. Let me tell you, we've not been called to follow signs and wonders. We have been called to produce signs and wonders in the authority of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now in Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 22, uh, we see Jesus offering uh, basically grace to the outcasts of society. The outcasts of society in that day, if you look in Matthew 8, uh, they were simply uh, women, lepers, and Gentiles. Lepers, women, and Gentiles were considered the outcasts of society especially among the Jews, but also among the Pharisees. Many Pharisees would pray every day. Can you imagine this? I give thanks that I'm a man and I'm not a woman. I'm grateful I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. I'm grateful I'm free and not a slave. That's the way that they pray. In our text this morning, we see Jesus comes in contact with a leper. Now, friend, there were a number of afflictions in the Bible that categorizes someone uh, uh, as being a leper. And once again, if a person was considered to be a leper, they lived outside of the city. They had to be withdrawn. They couldn't be around people. They couldn't touch anyone. They couldn't come in proximity of anyone. And they had a crowd unclean, unclean, unclean. Uh, when people uh, would go out and they would beg professionally, uh, if they were blind, they had a certain garment on, and when people saw the style of that garment, they knew the person was blind. If someone was deaf, they would have on a different style of garment, and they would know how to give the money. But if someone was a leper, they would have yet a different garment upon, and the people would see the color of that garment and say, stay away from them, they are a leper. We must throw the money at them if we want to help them at all. Can you imagine living like that? But yet when we find that Jesus came through, uh, the Bible lets me know that this particular leper ran to Jesus and violated uh, the code of evidence of that day. And yet we see the great faith that this leper had because he came to Jesus knowing that Jesus had the power, had the ability, had the love, and had the willingness to cleanse him uh, from his dreaded disease. In the Bible, leprosy is a symbol of sin. Notice what the Bible said uh, in Isaiah uh, 1. He said, uh, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. Uh, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and purifying sores, uh, they are not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. The instructions given to us in Leviticus chapter 13 helps us understand the nature of sin. 
Sin, like leprosy, it spreads, okay? It defiles, it isolates. We also know that it's fit for only fit for the fire. That's the same way sin is, the same way as leprosy. When Jesus touched the leper, he contracted the leper's defilement, but the leper was able to receive the cleansing power that Jesus Christ had. Jesus commanded him, tell no man about what happened, but go to the priest and have them to declare you cleansed so that you can get back and living and you can be part of society. That's beautiful, but let's go a bit deeper this morning if we may. Why was it important that the cleansed leper now go to the priest? Again, Leviticus 14.2. This shall be a law of the leper in the day of cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. As stated earlier, leprosy uh, refers to a variety of skin diseases. It's a symbol of sin, and therefore leprosy was not healed. Leprosy was cleansed. And yet when the leper was cleansed, it brought forth the healing. By the same token, sin is not healed. Sin is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. First, the leper is cleansed, brought to the priest. The priest was instructed to go outside the city, take for him who is cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Let's read that again because it's important. Go outside the city, take two living birds, clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Each of these emblems, elements, are reminded to us that work that Jesus Christ did in the remission of sin. When the priest went outside the city, that reminds us that Jesus Christ was crucified outside of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. The two birds remind us of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. The cedar wood reminds us of the cross that Jesus Christ died upon. And we also know the scarlet uh, is in reminiscent of the suffering uh, that Jesus Christ did. And thank God the hyssop uh, symbolizes faith. Let me bring it all together, if I may. David said, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The hyssop was used in purification of ceremonies and generally considered to be a fragrant plant from the Marjuan family. I didn't say marijuana, the Marjuan family. Marjoram is a cold, sensitive perennial herb or an undershrub with sweet pine and citrus flavors. In some Middle Eastern countries, if you will, marjoram is symbolic with oregano, with oregano. It symbolized faith because it was always used when you applied the blood to something. Remember uh, when the death angel was about ready to pass over the, uh, the children of Israel in Egypt? They had to be under the blood. How was the blood applied? They took hyssop and they put the hyssop in the blood and and put it across the doorpost and the lentils of the house. Why did they use hyssop? Uh, Because hyssop was a plant that grew regularly and in abundance within that area. Uh, Any way that they could, they could have put the blood on on the altar, but God said, take the hyssop. It was an act of faith when they took that hyssop, and that's what it's all about today, the act of faith. The hyssop doesn't have to be imported in. They didn't ship it in across the nation. You didn't have to call FedEx to get it here, and Amazon didn't deliver. You had to get out and go yourself and get the hyssop and apply the blood. Now what happened next is a a precursor of what Jesus would do on Calvary. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and uh, over the running water. When the first bird was killed, 
The blood was caught in an earthen vessel with water. This speaks of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ who poured his blood out of an earthen vessel, his own body. Praise God. The priest took the living bird along with the cedar wood, Christ's cross, the scarlet, his suffering, uh, and then the hyssop faith and dipped them in the shed blood of the bird that had been slain. The slain bird's blood was mixed with the water in earthen vessels, symbolizing the word of the living God. The Bible said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. Now here's the final instructions, if you will, for the leper seeking cleansing of the priest. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from his leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. This speaks of our sins being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There was the resurrection, if you will, in the living bird when it was released. And the cleansing ceremony is just one of many illustrations uh, of where Jesus Christ died and bore our sins and rose from the grave and thank God ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. Praise the Lord for that. Now notice if you will. Paul told the Colossian people, according to the old covenant traditions about eating, drinking, and festivals, no one should believe that it's going to happen today. It was something that was foreshadowing what the Lord did for us in our day. He said it was a shadow of things to come. The book of Hebrews said a shadow of good things to come, but the very image of God. Now the leper then was allowed to come into the camp. The one to be cleansed shall be washed his clothes, shave off all of his hair, bathe in water, and be clean. And afterwards he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. In the same way, we who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're ready to enter into the kingdom of God. In sin we were separated like, like leprosy. Sin, uh, sin spreads. It's deeper than the skin. It's fit for nothing for the fire. But the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ causes us to be friends with God once again. We who were alienated, dead in trespasses and sin, can be drawn near uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and a peace with God through the blood that Jesus Christ shed. Blood that was shed 2,000 years ago still has the power to cleanse from all sin, to have our names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that we have failed to understand what it truly means to be born again. We often think, well, I'm saved. What does that mean? To, to, to know that we have been birthed into the kingdom of God. We have been saved. That which was lost has now been found. You lose a set of car keys and find them, whoopee, that's great. You lose an arm in war, that's sad. You lose an eyeball to some shrapnel going in, that's bad but to lose a soul. For a soul to be lost through all eternity, our minds cannot comprehend the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the judgment that must come on upon those that do not repent of their sin and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. The priest sprinkled the leper with blood seven times, I believe, for prophetic reason. When you read the scripture, the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out seven times. Notice, if you will, in his sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
Blood came from his face. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from the insults and their spitting. Blood poured from his head. And after twisting together a crown of thorns and put on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and beat him on the, on the head. His back poured blood. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. His hands poured out blood. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encast me. They pierced my hands. His feet, the Bible said, they pierced my feet and his side. Yet one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. What happened after the leper was sprinkled seven times with the blood? He was able to enter into the camp because he had been cleansed by the blood, become sons and daughters. May I remind you, when we have been washed, alienated from family, alienated from society, alienated from friends, you know what? Sometimes if you're just a good sinner, nobody wants to see you or be around you. But isn't it amazing when the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is applied to your life, people love you all over, they accept you all over. Why? Because a new name has been written down in glory, because the old man has been born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ did what no manner of help could do. Psychology couldn't do. Self-help couldn't do. Education couldn't do. Mama couldn't do. Daddy couldn't do. But Jesus could do it all because the blood, hallelujah, is able to cleanse from all sin. And you know what? It won't cost you a cotton-picking thing to come to Jesus. The work has already been done. Freely he laid down his life and freely he picked it back up again. He died that my sins I might be forgiven, but he rose from the grave that you and I can be justified in the sight of the Almighty God and he has declared us to be righteous in the kingdom of God. Now when the rapture takes place, it's not God going to have to hunt where we are. He knows his beloved. And thank God we're able to go home when that day comes by the grave or whether it comes by way of death. The leopard being cleansed of the leprosy is symbolic of a sinful man being cleansed of his sin. But let's do not stop there. Notice, if you will, once again in Leviticus 14. When the individual was allowed back in the camp, he was directed to take two lambs without blemish and an ewe lamb of the first year without blemish and three-tenth deals of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. The priest then was to take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering, as restitution for a specific son. And he shall uh, uh, slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so the trespass offering, it is most holy. Did you notice that the individual offered more sacrifices after he was considered cleansed and allowed in the camp? You see, it was just not a one-time washing. Thank God it just takes one, one washing of the blood to be saved. Why do we have the continual washing, Pastor? Why do I? In the same way, Jesus shed his blood once and all for mission of sins, but we are continually needing cleansing, daily cleansing, daily sanctification. Because we live in a world that's tainted by sin. 
We are not isolated from the world, but we are to be insulated from the world. You've heard me say it. You walk into Subway, you come out, you're going to smell like a sub for the rest of the day, whether you bought anything or not. And when you and I are in this world, we're going to smell like the world. The world gets on us, and you know what I'm talking about. But yet the truth of the matter is, uh, Jesus' blood, he even told the disciples, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why is that? The blood took care of the sin problem, but every day of our life we need cleansing and cleansing and cleansing, and we get that not just by taking a bath. Soap can't wash it off, but the blood still works as we come before him every day. Every day. Cleanse me afresh and cleanse me anew. The priest applied the blood to the leper three times. The priest applied the blood to the cleansed leper three times. Notice this. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear that is cleansed, upon the thumb of his right ear, and upon the great toe of his right foot. This means that our hearing, our work, and our walk need constant cleansing every day. Are you with me? As the priest applied the blood to the leper's ear, to the thumb of the big toe, God said, now it's time for the anointing. You see, it's not just enough to be cleansed. It's not just enough to be saved. He wants to anoint what he's cleansed. He wants to equip what he's saved. He wants the power of God to come upon his people to do great exploits in this last day. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it upon the palm of his left hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that's in the left hand and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. The anointing oil throughout Scripture represents the Holy Spirit's work in consecrating and empowering you and me for service. It's understandable. It's essential, brothers and sisters, that God anoints what the blood of Jesus Christ covers. And the blood of Jesus does more than cover our sin. He removes that sin and he wants to anoint. The anointing oil was sprinkled seven times in order to represent the reception of total anointing. The number seven in God's economy is perfection. When that took place, it may sound redundant what happened next. But God was doing something totally new. The priest took the oil, knowing the leper's right ear, the right thumb, the right big toe again. And the blood was already there, but the anointing oil had to be placed up on top of it. For where the blood of the cross is, you will find the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I said, where you find the blood of Jesus Christ, you will find the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we've been redeemed and washed by the blood, but our walk needs to be cleansed by that blood every day of our life. Paul said that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. In the Old Testament, when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle, he gave him all the specific instruction. The size of the tabernacle, the pillars, the walls, the curtains, the whole nine yards. He laid out for him what the furniture was to look like. But he didn't, and he told the priest how they were supposed to dress and the proper power that they were to wear. But he didn't mention one solitary thing about the shoes. He didn't mention anything about what their feet were supposed to look like. I remind you that they were touching the dust of this earth. They walked barefooted or they walked in sandals. As a Christian, we are in this world, walking in this world every day of our life, and we need that divine cleansing that only God can give. Cleanse me anew. Cleanse me again. 
Cleanse me anew, O God. That's what the Bible lets me know. Now, what did God command the priest to do after the anointing oil? And the remnant of the oil that's in the priest's hand, he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed, and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. God wants to cover us totally from head to toe with the oil of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough just to have goosebumps going down our back, church. We need to be baptized, immersed, living in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. I remind you again today what the blood has forgiven, the anointing of God wants to follow. There might be someone saying, but pastor, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I'm doing on my life. Let me tell you, for God so loved and put your name there that he sent his son to die. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I pray we never tire of hearing that today. I remind you again, not only do we have the atonement of the blood, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. If God can use a leper to illustrate his love, his power, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his reconciliation, how much more can God do that work in your life and do that work in mine today? It's all about his grace. What really is grace? There's a lot of greasy grace going on today. You understand that? We just slide through everything. God just winks at our sin. It's been said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's been said grace is God giving to us those things we don't deserve. And mercy is God not giving to us the things that we do deserve. But how do we really understand and really appreciate grace? Let's say, for instance, there's a man that had one son, and a gang member violently tortured and killed that man's only son. Now, the man is grieving. The man is hurting. There's one of three things this man can do. Number one, he can get a gun and go out and kill the guy. That's called revenge. Number two, he can turn it over to the court system, and that's called justice. Or number three, he can forgive that man and adopt him as his own. And put him in his son's place. Now friend, that's grace. If you had one son or one daughter. And some sinful maniac brutally killed them. Would you be willing to forgive them and adopt them. And put them in the place of your son and daughter? God did. When he saved you. God did. When he saved me. And if, we, if God can show that kind of grace to me and that kind of grace to you, God help us show that kind of grace to the world. Amen. God help us show that kind of grace to each other. We put his son up on the cross. He shed his blood for our iniquities and our sin. And because of his death, when we repent of our sins and accept Jesus as Savior, God forgives us. He cleanses us. And we've been adopted into the family of God. We've become heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And the Bible said in John, Behold what manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Come today just as you are. Dirty, full of condemnation, outcast, rebellious, unworthy, Whatever it is, your life is no match for Jesus. He loves you in spite of yourself. Amen. He can cleanse you and forgive you if you're willing to come. 
I remember when I was a 17-year-old kid in the mountains of Virginia, running from God, hating life, wanting to know what it's all about. But I heard that song after the sermon one morning, just as I am without one plea, just as I am, I come to you. And that's exactly what God's saying today, just as you are, good, bad, and indifferent. Don't try to get better before you come to the Lord because that's not going to work. Come to him the way you are and he'll make you better.